The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Kiev under fire with air raids rocking the capital city of Ukraine as the Russian assault enters its second day. Ukraine President Volodymyr Zelensky sounding his resolve as Ukrainian forces try to hold back that Russian offensive one responsible for more than 130 deaths in just the last 24 hours. And world leaders continuing to condemn Russia and its president, Vladimir Putin, for the brazen assault with the U.S. and its allies announcing new sanctions aimed at weakening the Russian military and its economy. On Wall Street, stocks coming off a historically big comeback rally as investors weigh the risks of the ongoing offensive in Ukraine. It's a Friday, February 25th, 2022. You are watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Good morning. I am Dominic Hsu in for Brian Sullivan today. We begin this morning with that big breaking news and the Russian invasion of Ukraine entering its second day, unleashing airstrikes on cities and military bases around the country, including the outskirts of the Ukrainian capital city of Kiev just before dawn this morning. Those are the photos that you're seeing here. Ukraine officials say they've already lost control of the decommissioned Chernobyl nuclear power plant, which lies just about two hours north of Kyiv. Now, adding a Russian tank offensive on the capital city could happen as soon as today. In a televised address, Ukraine President Volodymyr Zelensky said more than 130 people have died as a result of these attacks in the last 24 hours, including 10 military officers, adding Russian forces have been, quote, stopped in most directions despite the renewed air attacks. In the face of Russian aggression, U.S. President Joe Biden unveiled a new wave of sanctions targeting Russia, which the White House says is expected to hit trillions of dollars in assets and further isolate Moscow from the global economy. Sanctions Ukraine say do not go far enough. In the wake of the ongoing attack on Ukraine, U.S. stock futures this morning are lower. As you can see here, we are implied lower by just about 240 points for the Dow, the S&P lower by 34 points and the Nasdaq down by 106. Now, this is after an historic, historic comeback rally for Wall Street yesterday. The Dow erasing a more than 850 point loss at one point to close actually 90 points higher throughout the course of the day. As you can see here, just after the opening bell, things got really bad. And then it was a climb, climb, climb. And then towards the end of the session, right around 2 to 3 to 4 p.m. is when you saw that ramp up higher in the Dow Industrials, closing the day again higher, erasing an 850-point loss. It was an even bigger rally, by the way, for the Nasdaq, which at its session lows was down nearly 3.5% before ending the day with a 
3.3% gain, a big move, its biggest intraday swing since March of 2020. Now, oil on the move again this morning as well as Brent crude, the world benchmark, continues to trade above $100 a barrel for the first time since 2014. Ice Brent crude futures just about $100, $117, up about 1%. Three quarters of 1% gains for WTI U.S.-based crude, $93.48. And that gas price is taking a bit of a breather right now. You can see down about nearly 3%. Sticking with commodities, we are watching metals very closely with gold sharply higher this morning and palladium coming off a 2.5% gain just yesterday. Now, gold prices are lower, taking, again, a bit of a breather, down about three-quarters of 1%, $1,912 per ounce there. Silver prices down one and three-quarters percent, $24.28 an ounce, and then platinum and palladium fractionally lower as well. The soft commodities... The agricultural ones are in focus. Wheat hitting, by the way, a 14-year high in prices. Corn hovering near eight months high. Soy prices as well. But again, that rise and massive move over the last couple of days, taking a bit of a breather today. Wheat prices down about 4.5%. Corn down about 1.5%. And soybeans down about 1.5% as well. In cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin is rebounding a bit after hitting 34,000 or thereabouts yesterday morning. We are still up fractionally for Bitcoin, up about one half of 1%, 38,609 per coin there. Ether prices down about one and a quarter percent, $2,619 as well. Let's check right now on the overseas action. Juliana Tattlebaum is standing by in our London newsroom with the latest there. Good morning, Juliana. Dom, good morning. Well, European markets yesterday closed up shop before that stunning turnaround took shape on Wall Street. So we saw some heavy losses in yesterday's session. The stock 600 dropping 3.3%. The German market dropping nearly 4%. So this morning, we have some stabilization coming through after the massive sell-off yesterday. So we're a little bit out of step with what you're seeing on Wall Street. The DAX is currently up about nine-tenths of a percent. The French market up about 1.2%. Here in the UK, we do have some outperformance up about one And that's in large part because the basic resources names are outperforming. So let's take a look at the sector breakdown. You've got basic resources uh, performing very well, but also utilities up 3.6%, real estate up about 2.3%, food and bev up about 2% as well. So green across the board, a broad-based rally. Um, Looking at the travel and leisure sector in a little bit more detail, because this is a focal point um, in the geopolitical um, space today, the airline industry um, very closely looking at what's happening in Russia. Yesterday, as part of a sanctions package announced by the UK, uh, the UK government announced that Russia's aeroflot would be blocked from using UK airports and aerospace. So this morning, we had Russia come out and say that UK airlines and UK aircraft were not welcome in Russian airspace. So uh, preventing UK flights from making their way over Russia. We have the UK defense minister come out saying that this was a retaliatory step by Russia. But now investors in the space digesting what this may mean for these Airlines, IAG taking a bit of a hit down about 2% this morning, but uh, overall fairly contained reaction. Dom? All right, Juliana, thank you very much for the update there from Europe. Back to Ukraine, where Russian airstrikes are now targeting its capital city of Kiev, with officials there warning of a plan to topple its government and oust President Vladimir Zelensky. This as Russia says they've destroyed 118 military sites in Ukraine in the last 24 hours and are now sending in paratroopers to secure the most critical sites, including Chernobyl. NBC's Bree Jackson joins us now from Washington, D.C. with the latest there. Good morning, Bree. 
Good morning, Dom. Well, later today this um, or, or later this morning, President Biden has a virtual meeting with NATO leaders to discuss the situation there in Ukraine and possible new sanctions against Russia. Residents of Kyiv waking up to sounds of war and sites of devastation in other areas of Ukraine. Putin chose this war. And now he and his country will bear the consequences. President Biden imposing harsh new sanctions. They include cutting off Russia's largest banks and companies from Western financial markets and restricting exports. This is going to impose severe costs on the Russian economy, both immediately and over time. Some critics say the president should have gone even further. Ratchet the sanctions all the way up all the way up as far as you can. There's a bipartisan push for Russia to be barred from SWIFT, the secure system that connects banks in more than 200 countries. The administration says right now European allies are not willing to take that step. They are profound sanctions. Let's have a conversation in another month or so to see if they're working. As the impact of this is felt, as the consequences of what President Putin done is, uh, is felt, including in Russia, uh, that will have an impact. The Russian attacks igniting worldwide protest. In Moscow, chanting crowds held anti-war signs. Biden, stand with Ukraine! Biden, stand with Ukraine! In Washington, D.C., there are calls for a stronger response from the administration. Many praying for those fleeing for their safety. I just can't believe someone could be so evil. During an unclassified briefing, U.S. military leaders described the current phase of Russia's military operation as the tip of the spear, warning of more violence and casualties to come. And the U.S. is deploying 7,000 troops to Germany to support NATO allies. President Biden again stressed that no U.S. forces are being sent directly into Ukraine. Bitcoin. Dom. All right, Bree Jackson, Washington, D.C., thank you very much for that. In the face of the ongoing offensive in Ukraine, President Biden is set to meet virtually with fellow NATO leaders today, just one day after the White House imposed a fresh wave of sanctions on Russia and some of its largest multinational corporations, but stopping short of cutting Moscow off from that swift payment system that Bree just alluded to, something that some leaders, like those in the U.K., are now actually advocating for. Our own Steve Sedgwick joins us now from Krakow, Poland. Steve, good morning to you. Is the swift conversation picking up steam in Europe right now? We've heard it referred to as the so-called or quote-unquote nuclear option in finance. Take us through what the talk is right now in Europe. Look, SWIFT um, is responsible for 11,000 financial institutions' uh, financial transactions, Dom. Uh, we're talking about millions of financial transactions a day, but as the President has been saying in the last 24 hours as well, actually, a lot of the actions against German, uh, beg your pardon, Ukrainian, uh, Russian financial institutions uh, will actually ca carry out the same purpose as it would do of cutting them out of SWIFT anyway. So uh, he's saying it's not necessarily as important as some were thinking, and there are others who are concerned that if you cut the Russians out of swift, then that could uh, limit the amount of uh, payments that could go into the energy sector in Germany, uh, in, in Russia, which would then mean the Germans and others uh, can't get their power as well. So real concerns that and also that it would push the Russians into the arms of the Chinese as well. I want to talk a little bit also, Dom, about why we're here in Poland, because we were hearing from Bree about the importance of NATO going forward and how the president is going to be speaking to uh, virtually to other uh, NATO members uh, this morning as well. Well, it's very important to look at what NATO is actually 
currently doing in this part of the world because Poland, uh, where I am now, is actually set to become one of the most pivotal nations within the NATO alliance as well, the so-called eastern flank of which uh, Poland uh, is the largest contributor in eastern Europe financially and indeed militarily as well. We know there's a big US presence not far from here as well. Um, the illustrious 82nd Airborne have got now 4,700 members uh, of that uh, military a division actually a few miles away from where I am here in Krakow as well. We know that F-15 airplanes that have been previously based in North Carolina and in the United Kingdom have moved to Poland as well, to the Lask Air Base as well. So NATO is beefing up its presence here in Poland. And why is Poland so important? Well, because historically and geographically it always has been, and our viewers will know a lot about that. But just safe to say, to fill in a few gaps, uh, there is a very large border with Ukraine here in Poland, 332-mile-long border, uh, and we're on a corridor here in Krakow, which is a direct route out of Ukraine should those refugees that the U.S. has been talking about at the U.N. Uh, start streaming out of Ukraine if, indeed, the fighting gets worse and we do see a host of refugees. And, of course, people have talked to up to three to five million refugees coming through. So economically, regarding the sanctions, there's a lot going on. Militarily, there's a lot going on. Uh, Poland uh, and the NATO alliance could be absolutely pivotal for what happens next. So, Steve, I mean, geographically speaking, Poland is very much going to be in focus, as, as you point out. It also shares a border with Belarus and Russian-owned Kaliningrad as well. Is there any kind of talk about the movements that, that are perhaps uh, being viewed there, Poland, across towards Russia and Belarus in reaction to what's happening with Ukraine? Yeah, I mean, let, let's fill in the gaps for our viewers as well. You've got Russia to the north and to the east of Ukraine. You've got Belarus to the north. And Russian troops, who were ostensibly apparently having military training drills in Belarus, came through Belarus, which is very, very close to Kiev, which is in the north of Ukraine, came through. And that's where the main thrust for the capital city of Ukraine came from as well. There is also a very, very long border between Poland and Belarus to the north. Uh, and, and the problem is they've been absolutely at odds for a very long time, ever since that very disputed election in 2020 where the Belarusian president was accused of manipulating the election uh, and of course with um, Poland as the EU border it bore the brunt of a lot of provocations on its border uh, and the forcing of migrants through who are trying to escape uh, a lot of these areas as well into the EU as well so Poland has long been at the forefront uh, of the battle between east and west so to speak the growing cold war so to speak you mentioned Kaliningrad as well well of course that is right near the Baltic states of Lithuania, Latvia uh, and Estonia, who have long been calling on the US president and others to beef up the NATO presence. It appears that is not falling on deaf ears now, and NATO is taking this threat very seriously, Dom. The tip of the spear for NATO alliance. Uh, Steve Sedgwick, thank you very much for that. When we come back on the show, the Ukraine conflict and your money, what UBS is telling clients in the face of all of this heightened volatility and uncertainty, plus... With Bitcoin at multi-month lows, are investors finally saying goodbye to crypto as a safe haven play? We've got a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. 
Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's turn now to the markets after stock staged a historic, a historic comeback yesterday. Futures right now indicating a possible 200-point loss for the Dow and a 26-point loss for the S&P. But as we've seen, that could change dramatically throughout the course of the day. Joining us now is Kieran Ganesh, multi-asset strategist at UBS Global Wealth Management. Uh, Kieran, I don't know what to say. I was here yesterday morning. I was here for the opening bell in New York. I was here watching an 850-point drop for the Dow, and the consensus was even if you got a recovery, you were still going to be down three, four, five hundred points, yet we finished higher. What exactly is that volatility telling you about how the markets view what's happening with Ukraine and Russia? Well, I think it tells you that we're in a time when there's some really huge forces affecting global markets. We've got that whole story about rates and inflation and this story with Russia and Ukraine, and they're now interacting, and that's creating a lot of volatility in markets. So I think what we saw specifically yesterday was, on the one hand, some relief that the sanctions aren't going as far as affecting Russian energy flow. In our view, that is really the key factor for driving markets and the economic outlook with respect to the Russia crisis. And on the other hand, maybe some investors also evaluating what the Fed might do from here. Um, Of course, if the Fed is a little bit less hawkish as a result of this uncertainty, then that might bode well for some of the tech names. And we saw them performing particularly strongly yesterday. So, Kieran, take us through that that narrative, because that's that's what I was hearing a lot from 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 the spokes I I spoke to yesterday about why it was specifically many of the most beaten up technology names that were the ones catching the biggest bid. It was this notion, and and Mohamed El-Aryan was on CNBC just yesterday saying that 50 basis points in March for the Fed is completely off the table. Those are his words. How much of that tech rally, a 3.3% gain after steep losses for the NASDAQ, is tied to the notion that the Fed is going to be, in what what you were just saying, less hawkish? I think some of it will be down to that. And I I think we would agree with what uh, Dr. Larian is saying, that it is unlikely we're going to see a 50 basis point hike uh, in March. That is supportive. Um, But on the other hand, also investors are going to be seeking some level of, of safety and insulation away from uh, companies which might be quite directly affected by the crisis in Ukraine. And then you see that around 70% of the NASDAQ is in bear market territory. So people are looking for stocks to pick up. So you know we're focused on names in the artificial intelligence, big data and cybersecurity space, which is very topical at the moment, as potential opportunities to take advantage of the current volatility in technology. So what goes on the shopping list? How should you position if you are a trader or an investor out there right now, given Ukraine? 
Well, we think the key thing is really to stay calm, stay patient and stay invested because historically these geopolitical events have tended not to have long-lived effects on markets. And But specifically, we're talking about investing in energy stocks, investing in the US dollar as ways of hedging portfolios, and but then also focusing on some of those names in tech I mentioned, as well as cyclical companies. We still think it's important to remember the backdrop here is the global economy is accelerating as COVID restrictions are lifted, and that should still benefit cyclical companies and sectors, so things like materials and financials as well. Karen Ganesh at UBS, thank you very much for the thoughts. Have, have a nice weekend, sir. Thank you. Still on deck for the show, the worst case scenario for crude oil and why 100 bucks a barrel for Brent could be just the beginning. But first, to check on some of this morning's other top corporate stories, Morgan Stanley says U.S. regulators and prosecutors are investigating various aspects of its block trading business and whether the bank may have broken rules by tipping off hedge funds ahead of large sales of shares known as block trades. The SEC is also reportedly taking a closer look at Tesla and whether recent stock sales by its CEO and founder Elon Musk and his brother violated insider trading rules. According to the Wall Street Journal, the probe began last year after Elon's brother sold shares of Tesla, valued at roughly $108 million, one day before Elon polled Twitter users asking whether he should unload 10% of his stake in Tesla. And shares of car auction services are surging in the pre-market after it said it is agreed to be acquired by Carvana in a $2.2 billion all-cash deal. Those shares surging by 49% in the pre-market trade. Carvana down 4%. We are back after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome back. Oil prices are back on the rise today as Russian forces advance on the Ukrainian capital city of Kiev. WTI and Brent crude both up around 2% or so at uh, earlier in the session, Brent retaking the $100 per barrel level. But as you can see there, WTI crude is $92.62. It's off a quarter of a percent right now. But Brent crude prices are up about one-tenth of one percent, just above 99 bucks a barrel. Markets are out bracing for the impact of trade sanctions on Russia, the world's second largest oil producer and largest provider of natural gas to Europe. Let's now bring in Louise Dixon, senior analyst for oil markets and analytics at Rystad Energy. Uh, Louise, this is big when we talk about Russia being the second biggest producer of those fossil fuels in the world and a large exporter, they don't expect supply disruptions, many experts. Do you think that supply disruptions are in play right now? Uh, well, in our view, um, the, the land and air invasion into Ukraine uh, has not put any immediate uh, barrels of oil export at risk. Uh, then again, it's still very much early days. And we do assess a risk of about uh, 1 million barrels per day of 
uh, near-term barrels that could potentially come off the market. And that would be looking at barrels that are transported via the Black Sea, as well as uh, Russian oil exports that travel through the Druzhba pipeline, which does run through the territory of Ukraine. So if that's the case, what exactly is the oil price dynamic right now? What exactly is driving that? And how how long could that particular upside risk last, given this notion that maybe we do not see that immediate threat to supplies of either oil or gas at this point? Right. Well, um, already coming into this Ukraine crisis, we're already seeing record low inventories and an extraordinarily tight uh, supplied market. So there, even before uh, yesterday's uh, incursion, we're already seeing some of the deepest backwardation in the oil curves that were already unprecedented in sort of modern oil market history. And then this conflict, of course, escalates those sort of uh, those market fears that supply will continue to be short or that, you know, at least a million barrels per day of Russian exports could be taken off the market. So for this reason, we do expect the spread between what today's oil price is and what the future of the oil price is uh, in the futures curve to continue to widen. And this could push oil prices up uh, you know, to levels uh, seen, you know, not since 2008 or perhaps 2014. Louise, uh, more and more of my conversations with regard to energy, because I am not an energy expert, but I have the benefit of talking to energy experts like you. But many of the folks I talk to now are, are, are continuing to talk about this notion that these higher oil prices, if this is a kind of regime, if you will, right, that these prices stay elevated, that it does help the balance sheets for U.S. based shale producers. How exactly are they going to react to these prices and and what exactly does that do for the U.S. energy industry? Will we see a wave of capital expenditures out there? Will we see them, so to speak, turn the spigots back on? Right. Well, in terms of the U.S. shell patch, there already has been uh, an increased flurry of of, of rig activity and drilling uh, that 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 we witnessed at the end of 2021. Uh, at the same time, it takes, you know, it takes a couple months for, for this oil production to come online. So we expect uh, the higher oil and price environment to spur more U.S. shale activity. However, this will be a bit backloaded, and we actually won't see that supply come onto the market until the end of this year, at which these uh, current sort of supply tightness, um, whether that's out of Russia, out of OPEC Plus or Libya, sure. could already be resolved. So. The supply from the U.S. Uh, is coming online, but and it is sort of limited um, in in its capacity to sort of come on uh, immediately. Understood. And so if we're looking at uh, immediate uh, short-term market relief, that would have to come from some of the OPEC plus players. So we're looking at Saudi Arabia, UAE, and Iraq, which do have the spare capacity to actually sort of fill this current market gap. Okay. And that's when we sort of look ahead to the to the March, uh, the early March meeting of of Saudi Arabia, Russia and partners to see if they have a plan to sort of shore up uh, short term oil supplies. All right. A key meeting for sure there. Louise Dixon and Rystad, thank you very much for the thoughts there. We appreciate it. As we head out to break, watching huge rebounds for the Russian stock market today. The RTS is up 18 percent. The Moex composite up 14 percent right now. The U.S. dollar backed RTS index surging. You can see they're big. The ruble-based MOEX, you can see, again, big moves to the upside. Much more on this trade and what exactly the expectations are when we return from this commercial break. 
Breaking news, Ukraine defending its capital city of Kiev as the Russian offensive enters its second day. This morning, President Biden meets with other NATO leaders as they look to shore up defenses in the face of Russian aggression. And investors once again cautious. Despite a late day rally yesterday, stock futures pointing to another sharply lower open this morning, Friday, February 25th, 2022. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. I am Dominic Chewin for Brian Sullivan. Welcome back to the show. We begin this half hour with breaking news and the Russian invasion of Ukraine entering its second day, unleashing airstrikes on cities and military facilities around the country, including the outskirts of the Ukrainian capital city of Kiev just before dawn this morning. That's the video you're watching right there. Ukraine officials say they've already lost control of the decommissioned Chernobyl nuclear power plant, which lies about two hours north of Kiev. Now, adding a Russian tank offensive on the capital could happen as soon as today. In a televised address, Ukraine President Volodymyr Zelensky said more than 130 people have died as a result of the attacks in the last 24 hours, including 10 military officers, adding Russian forces have been, quote, stopped in most directions despite the renewed air attacks. In the face of the Russian aggression, U.S. President Joe Biden unveiling a new wave of sanctions targeting Russia, which the White House says is expected to hit trillions of dollars in assets and further isolate Moscow from the global economy. Sanctions, by the way, Ukraine says do not go far enough. Biden is also set to meet with NATO allies virtually later on today. In the face of all of this, U.S. stock futures are looking to give back some of yesterday's late day gains, pointing to a lower open right now. You can see the Dow is implied lower by roughly 200 points. The S&P down by 25 and the Nasdaq, a huge gainer yesterday after big losses is implied lower by roughly 64 points. So some modest pullbacks. Treasuries right now showing a little bit of movement here. We did see a flight to safety trade bidding up Government note prices in the U.S. driving yields lower. This morning, you can see yields back up to just about 1.97 percent, ticking a little bit lower there. And the two-year note yield, 1.59 percent the last trade. Crude oil prices, of course, in focus, given what's happening with Russia, the second biggest oil producer in the world. Right now, WTI U.S.-based crude just about flat on the session, $92.84. Ice Brent crude world benchmark futures, $99.29, up about one quarter of one percent. We have global team coverage this morning covering everything you need to know about what's happening. Rosanna Lockwood is in our London newsroom with the early trade in overseas markets. NBC's Cal Perry is live on the ground in Ukraine with the very latest on the Russian offensive. And our Eunice Yoon is in Beijing with new comments from China's foreign ministry on the conflict. Rosanna, we will start with you. Thanks, Dom. Yeah, we did have that late day rally stateside. That meant that we had a bit more positivity in Asia. And then we inherited that lead here in Europe this morning. You're looking at the FTSE 100, the outperformer for the session, up by around 2% here in London. Now, we do have Russian exposed stocks and companies uh, within this index, however, shrugging off a lot of the negativity that we saw in Thursday's session. And is this an indicator uh, and a question we've been asking our guests on the show this morning that these Western sanctions that were announced yesterday aren't tough enough, that we're seeing some comfort? 
in the markets. Of course, there are other macroeconomic fundamentals at play, but the DAX, which is heavily, uh, not heavily, but some companies in Russia do have, in Germany, have some Russia exposure. That has been the laggard throughout the week. It is up 1.2%. Let's take a look at the sector picture here in Europe and what is playing out. You can see it's broad-based positivity across the board. Oil and gas, for example, up eight-tenths of a percent. We do still have Brent crude, as you mentioned, they're touching around $100 a barrel on this complex supply picture. We are also keeping an eye on travel and leisure. It's just at the far end there. It's up eight-tenths of a percent. But on news, for example, that the UK has banned Aeroflot, Russia's flag carrier, from landing here in, t- in tit-for-tat response of Russia is banning UK flights from uh, travelling over its airspace. We've learned this morning. All right, Rosanna Lockwood, thank you very much for the update from London there. Let's now send it over to NBC's Cal Perry on the ground in the western Ukrainian city of Lviv, which is also the site of several second wave attacks from the Russian military. Cal, yesterday we heard from our colleague Matt Bradley in Kharkiv. It's almost like the exact opposite end. Take us through the story in the western side of the country versus where we were talking east in Kharkiv yesterday. Absolutely. As we watch the fierce fighting in Kharkiv and in Kyiv to the east here, about 300 miles away from the Ukrainian capital, this city is becoming a transitory city. This is the place where people are fleeing to as they try to make their way to the Polish border, which is about 50 miles from where I am. The line at the Polish border is about now a 24-hour wait to enter the country. The Polish government doing, as they said, the best they can to lower some of those COVID restrictions to allow refugees in. We know at least, according to the UN, 100,000 refugees already on the move, having been displaced from their homes. Don, that number is bound to rise as we continue to see this fighting. Russian forces moving on the Ukrainian capital from the north and from the east. Fierce fighting has broken out. It will only exacerbate what is becoming a humanitarian crisis here, Don. So, so Cal, are, are, is it, I mean, the 24-hour, we, we saw the lines trying to exit Kyiv with regard to people moving that way. Is there any sense that there could be almost encampments happening because of this? Or or are we talking people just waiting in their cars in long lines on highways? Uh, We know that this area has become in many ways a crossroads for some of the migrant kind of uh, uh, migration of people from Eastern Europe and parts of Asia through, through to Poland. What exactly does it look like on that border with Poland and Ukraine? So it's going to turn into a logistical nightmare. It's a two-lane road uh, that crosses from Ukraine into Poland. That is for sort of passenger traffic, non-commercial traffic. It's a choke point. Um, And a 24-hour wait is going to only grow. And so your question about encampments, I mean, there's no question that is what humanitarian groups are starting to think about. The International Red Cross is starting to think about that. UNHCR is already talking about that. And across the border, of course, in Poland, a NATO country, you now have 10,000 U.S. troops most of them from the 82nd Airborne, that are coordinating with the Polish government to do exactly that, to not only identify hard sites where they can put folks, but if they have to use tents, if they have to set up those camps, I certainly think that's what you're going to be seeing in the coming days, Dom. All right. That's NBC's Cal Perry live in Lviv, which is the western part of Ukraine. Thank you very much for that. Stay safe. Now to China and what's likely to be seen on the global stage as one of the biggest sympathizers to the Russian cause and Vladimir Putin as well. This morning, the Chinese foreign ministry says any country who interferes in others' domestic affairs would see their reputation stained, adding it opposes any and all unilateral sanctions. Our Eunice Yoon joins us now with the latest from Beijing. Uh, Eunice, the, the, the comments may be surprising, maybe not yesterday, with regard to almost the support for Russia from China and the blame on the U.S. and its allies 
Take us through this next layer. What's the next chapter of the Beijing narrative? Well, absolutely, Dom. Uh, China refrained again from condemning uh, Russia's attack on Ukraine, instead doubling down on its criticism of the U.S. A foreign ministry spokesperson at a regular press briefing blasted President Biden's remarks yesterday that countries backing Russia's move would be, quote, stained, instead countering that nations that interfere in domestic affairs of others were truly stained. So China has long criticized the U.S. for being the one that uh, interferes in uh, what China believes are its domestic affairs. That includes, of course, Hong Kong, uh, Taiwan, as well as Xinjiang. Uh, The ministry also said that it opposes sanctions because they said sanctions are not effective. Now, uh, China is really an outlier when it comes to the impact um, and the support for these uh, um, sanctions against Russia. Uh, And if anything, especially with what we've seen out of the Winter Olympics, when President Putin and President Xi had signed several deals involving uh, gas, energy and uh, wheat, that uh, Russia, that China looks as though it's trying to help Russia through um, what it perceives to be a hard time with these uh, Western sanctions. So um, one thing that was interesting, though, is uh, that that analysts had told me that despite all the fanfare that we're seeing around the headlines of this close relationship, that China is really um, in a very limited position to assist Russia in any large-scale way. Uh, So the ways that China could potentially help Russia, I'm told, is with gas purchases, ruble and RMB trade, as well as chip replacement. Now, how China, that's how China could help. But the challenges that China faces with gas purchases, there are economic and technical issues. Uh, for example, it's very difficult to switch gas going to a uh, destined for Europe to, to China. And then for ruble and renminbi trade, China is not going to make its convertibility of its yuan any faster than it feels is necessary. And then, Dom, with chip replacement, the big question mark is, does China really have the chips that are advanced enough? to replace the ones that Russia would need. Eunice, let's say, let's say China takes these steps hypothetically, because we don't know exactly what they're thinking just yet. Let's say they become this kind of safety valve, right? That this, this kind of release valve for Russia to ease the burden of sanctions. How exactly then does the world respond to China if it is seen, if it is seen at some point in the future as actively trying to assist Russia, given the world outcry over what's happening with Ukraine? Well, I think that's part of the calculation that we're seeing in this very uh, attempt at having a very neutral tone by the Chinese, that, that the Chinese know that if they are seen as backing Russia too much, then some of its other partners, which arguably are much more important for them, at least in terms of dollar and cents, say the United States as well as Europe, um, that that relationship could go south when it's already kind of on shaky ground. And of course, those markets are just much more important for China's overall economy, which currently is also quite fragile. All right. Eunice Yoon live in Beijing with the latest there. Thank you very much. Coming up on the show, remember when the crypto bulls kept calling Bitcoin digital gold and inflation hedge, they said? The recent rise in precious metals and the fall in Bitcoin prices is calling that theory into question. We will debate it coming up next. But first, as we head out to break some of your other top headlines, President Biden has reportedly decided on his Supreme Court nominee and an announcement is expected as soon as today. The president recently interviewed three finalists to fill the vacancy being left by retiring Justice Stephen Breyer. The CDC is expected to relax its mask guidance today, likely loosening indoor masking requirements. 
This comes as most states have either already lifted their mandates or announced plans to do so in the coming weeks. And in corporate news, shares of Etsy this morning are taking off. You can see up 17% following better than expected quarterly results. Those shares, again, a big pop for Etsy. Stay tuned. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Recently, we've talked a lot about this notion that cryptocurrencies and stocks have been trading a little bit more in tandem as opposed to the narrative we've seen over the last several months and maybe even years now that uh, prices for Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are uncorrelated or perhaps even a hedge against other parts of the market. Precious metals as a safety trade have come back to the front and center of the investor kind of conversation right now, given what's happening with Ukraine. If you take a look at gold prices over the course of this year-to-day period, nothing terribly crazy dramatic, even though they're off fractionally today. But on a year-to-day basis, the trend has been higher since the start of the year, up by about nearly 5% at this point here. Meanwhile, if you take a look at some of those Bitcoin prices, Bitcoin prices during that course of the last same period that we are talking about have actually now fallen. If you take a look at Bitcoin over the course of this year-to-date period, the gap is now 16% of the downside for Bitcoin, 4 to 5% upside there. And then if you kind of look at the two of them together, it, te- it tells you a little bit more about that narrative right now between prices for Bitcoin and then prices for gold. You can see there over the course of this period, that gap has gotten a little bit wider. The safety trade is what's the variable here given Russia and Ukraine. So as investors and traders look for those safe haven trades, At one point, people talked about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies as one of those safety trades. They are not as much part of that conversation right now. Whether or not they become that again is going to be a big factor in whether or not that investment thesis carries on. But what I would say is that just in the last few months, we've heard a number of notable analysts, a number of notable teams at big investment banks come out and talk about this notion that Bitcoin could be digital gold, whether or not it takes share from gold in that safety or inflation hedging trade. That becomes a big question. Whether or not the markets right now are indicative of that Bitcoin price dynamic remains to be seen. But still, it's something that we will watch going forward. We're still on deck for the show. Investors are digesting the latest out of Ukraine. What Sylvia Jablonski is telling her clients and why she's a big fan of one beaten down sector at these current levels. And if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple or Spotify or your podcast app of choice. Worldwide Exchange audio format. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's turn now to the markets and talk about whether this slump could actually present a buying opportunity in some areas with futures now well off their session lows. Joining us now is Sylvia Jablonski, co-founder and chief investment officer of Defiance ETFs, uh, uh, Fan of the show here, Sylvia, thanks for joining us yet again for this hour. Uh, If you talk about this notion that we have seen this kind of bear market phase, if you will, for the NASDAQ specifically, this this move towards those levels for the S&P 500, you wonder whether or not that was enough to trigger some of that buying that we saw yesterday. But do you think it's fundamental buyers picking up value or do we feel as though it was just more of that short covering rally from people who are taking profits off their winning positions on losing shares? Hi, Dominic. Good morning. Great to see you today. I think it was a combination of things. You know, my, my sense of this is particularly looking at the uh, action in the NASDAQ is that when you had that 15 to 20 percent off of highs there, you know, probably a lot of machines and just strategists have that level set as as a time to come in and and sort of buy up those stocks. And I think that that's, 
you know, what, what moved the NASDAQ yesterday in particular. And then on the other indices, it's probably a combination of both a little bit of short covering, you know, a little bit of perhaps um, satisfaction with the level of sanctions and the severity of the level of sanctions seem to play into the market um, remains to be seen. But the volatility on the way up was quite high, which is which is also somewhat promising in that, you know, if this is something that gets resolved in the short term, which you know, it's, it's, it's very hard to determine that sort of thing. The volatility to the upside yesterday was somewhat reassuring in that the recovery could be quick as it has been, you know, in the past with these types of events. It was quick and it was much quicker in a certain part of the market. And that was the Nasdaq overall, specifically the Nasdaq 100. And then specifically there, the 10 or 15 most valuable stocks in the entire Nasdaq. Does that tell you anything about investor sentiment or what goes on shopping lists right now? Are we still in this phase since the great financial crisis back in 08 and 09, where mega cap technology, media and communications companies remain to be the, the choice when anything goes on sale? I think that the, you know, the, the froth prior to the last couple of days, the froth, I think, had been taken off the top of a lot of those names and, and now throw in what's happened over the last couple of days. They now look like value plays in terms of, you know, companies that are trading at a discount. They're down double digits from all time highs. They're they're, you know, trading with a lot of volatility. If you just look at a quality company like Apple yesterday, you know, the, the, the movement upward in that stock was pretty impressive. Um, and, and I think when you take these FANG companies to the side and some of the top media companies, there are a few things that they have in common. So they have strong balance sheets. They have pricing power. They're able to price, you know, to, to put prices along to the consumer. They have a strong moat. They have year-over-year revenue growth. They're invested in the secular growth trends of technology for the future. So they're into, you know, cloud computer. They're, they're into augmented reality. They have services. They have media. They have consumer discretionary qualities. So these are really great stocks to buy in the portfolio. And it's always tough to, to go out and buy, right, when the market is sort of gyrating like this and you have this um, aggressive sideways volatility. But these are the times when you look back and, and, and they turn out to have been the buying opportunities. So I think that investors who have some cash on the side, you know, might want to dip their toes in and investors that are fully invested, you know, it's it's rarely good to sort of take losses at these levels. Right. So so it's either sort of wait it out or look for these opportunities to get in. All right. Let's say that let's say we believe you and that this is the opportunity. What, what exactly would you be looking at right now? What sector is the most or what industry groups, what types of stocks, what companies are the most attractive to you? Yeah, um, great question. So, so the companies I just mentioned, I, I think Amazon, Microsoft, Google, Apple, because of their participation in, like I said, sort of that, that broad-based uh, secular technological growth trend. I think semiconductors are, are part of everything. You know, 5G is going to power the way we sort of work, live, um, future developments of Web 3.0, of, of, meg, of meta, of, um, you know, of, of data quality, of, of electric vehicles. EV companies are pretty much tech companies. So you need AMD, you need NVIDIA to have 5G in order to have those technological advancements. And the travel trade, you know, prior to the last two days, again, if you looked at some of the top names there, like the cruise names, Royal Caribbean, Airlines, um, Southwest Airlines, for example, Marriott, they were up 8 to 10 percent. S&P was down about 8.5 percent, again, prior to the last couple of days. So if we think that we'll get some stability in geopolitics here, perhaps those are the names that, that recover there. 
Um, international travel, which obviously is a huge issue now, but the, the, the WTTC was predicting a 200% year-over-year recovery this year. So, you know, those are names that are under-allocated to, and I think that what's sort of going on now is going to push them down even further. So if you're willing to take sort of some volatility there and wait it out, they might be good opportunities to hold on to in a portfolio as well. Sylvia, we've just got a few seconds left here, about 20, 30 seconds here. What do you think of the energy trade? Is it still one that has momentum or do you think it's topped out for now? I think short-term momentum for another week or so, but you're pretty close to the top there. It's looking a little bit expensive. It was a great trade to get into over the last couple of weeks. All right, Sylvie Jablonski, uh, again, defiance ETFs. This massive energy trade is going to be huge focus here for a lot of investors, given what's happening with Russia and Ukraine. Thank you very much. Have a nice weekend, Sylvia. Thank you. Have a great day. All right, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Markets right now are pulling back after a massive historic rally into the closing bell that we saw yesterday. The Dow is implied lower by 220 points. The Nasdaq by about 71. The S&P down by 27 at the open. Squawk Box picks up the market coverage coming up next. We'll see you on Monday. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.